for tuning in to the 435th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as always, just recently, as of the last two weeks. Uh, gonna have a great podcast for you guys. Gonna have Kenny Sim, scouting expert for 247 Sports on. We are going to break down and recap the NFL draft, give draft breakdowns, talk about diamonds of the rough in each draft class for every team in the NFC East and NFC North. So if you guys got teams in the NFC East, the NFC North, Cowboys, Giants, uh, the Commanders, uh, the Packers, a lot of blue blood NFL franchises, by the way. Uh, this is the podcast for you. Now, before I get to the conversation with me and Kenny, here's what we're going to do. Shameless plug, as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, you can click on the timestamp, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrant underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane, and you will find it. I post two five-minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right, if you don't have the pod, then fret not, worry not. Just don't say a thing, because you know what your mama told you? My mama taught me this. Mama Lane said this. She said, Daryl, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And now it's time for me to get into one of my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so much. So I got bored recently and I was kind of looking into the evolution of NBA players, NBA star players to be exact. And then it kind of went from that to NBA role players and then coaches in any professional sport, then just NFL players, then uh, like boxers, MMA fighters, even baseball players, just athletes in general. I was kind of looking at the evolution. Even my own career as a wrestler, I was kind of looking at it. Even my own football career, I was kind of looking at it like the evolution. The 1.0, the 2.0, the 3.0, the 4.0, the 5.0 version, uh, version of it. For example, right? If anybody, you guys are listening, and if you guys like anime... Just make the simple Dragon Ball Z. There's Goku. Then he can turn into a Super Saiyan. That's a level up. That's like Goku 2.0. Super Saiyan 2 would be Goku 3.0. Super Saiyan 3 would be Goku 4.0. And base form Goku would be Goku 1.0, right? Uh, And as I was looking at these evolutions, right, of a player's career when they reach a new level, right? There's a young player, mid-career, end of career. All very different forms. All very different levels of play. And uh, as I was starting to really think about this, just to encapsulate this for all you guys, I'm going to give you guys three players and their versions. I'm going to give you Floyd Mayweather, Tom Brady, and Michael Jordan. We're going to go goat, 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 right? So let's start with this. 
Floyd Mayweather. The 1.0 version is Pretty Boy Floyd. When he was throwing punches, he was going for knockouts. He was an aggressive, going-forward fighter. Floyd 2.0 is Money Mayweather. The Floyd Mayweather that all of you guys know as the arrogant, cocky, brash. Uh, the defensive fighter who doesn't throw as many punches. Uh, he does the Philly roll, shoulder roll. Uh, continuously backs up. Same name, same person. Very different from Floyd 1.0 that was aggressive. The pretty boy Floyd. Floyd Money Mayweather is about the money, the assets, protecting himself, being a great defensive fighter. And there's Floyd 3.0, which is Floyd Mayweather right now, which is, I'm not going to really train boxing, but I'm going to fight people who can't really box and collect the back. Then we get to Tom Brady. Brady 1.0 is the clutch game manager, right? Uh versus the St. Louis Rams in the Super Bowl, drives them down the field against the Carolina Panthers, drives them down the field, drives the, them down the field against the Philadelphia Eagles, always comes up clutch in the big game, manages the game, doesn't do too much, doesn't make the mistake. Then there's Brady 2.0, which is you bring Randy Moss and becomes the best QB in the league, and they stretch the field with a vertical passing attack. Then there's Brady 3.0, not winning really, uh, but working in the middle of the field with guys like Gronk, Edelman, Welker, Hernandez. Then there's Brady 4.0. This is God status, Brady. Something as clutch as Michael Jordan in its prime. He's always going to come through. A sports messiah, so to speak. Brady reached 4.0 status when he came back against the Atlanta Falcons. And it's like, no matter what situation Brady or the Patriots are in, in the fourth quarter, you believe he's going to pull through. There's almost like that Messiah factor like Michael Jordan had in basketball, like Babe Ruth kind of had in baseball, like Wayne Gretzky in hockey, Muhammad Ali in boxing, uh, a Pele in soccer, where it's like, this is the goat of goats. He's on another plane. He's operating in a different hemisphere than all of us, right? Then there's Brady 5.0, the ability to resurrect an organization in Tampa and start a new culture. That's the Brady we're seeing right now. Then we get to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan 1.0 is Air Jordan. The young, non-winning, high-flying, selfish freak of nature. Right? Putting up a lot of stats, leading the NBA in scoring, but not winning any games. Then there's Michael Jordan 2.0. And this is the redefined high-flyer. Not forcing things as much. Learning to trust his teammates, playing within the triangle offense. This Michael Jordan won three championships. Then we get to Michael Jordan 3.0. This Michael Jordan won, uh, was part of the second three-peat for the Bulls. The last dance Bulls, Michael Jordan. Not as athletic, not as quick, not as explosive, not as fast, not as vertical. But understands the game at a superior level. Great mid-range jump shooter, extremely strong, good post-game. Understands what he's supposed to do, what his teammates can do, what the opponents can do. Can control the pace of the game unlike any player we've seen in the history of the sport. And then there's Michael Jordan 4.0, which is Wizards Michael Jordan, which is old and grumpy Michael Jordan, but can still drop 20 a night. So as we look into Luka Doncic, what's Luka Doncic's uh, uptick going to be? What's his 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0? And I'm talking about Luka Doncic right now because as I'm talking, uh, the Dallas Mavericks just lost the Golden State Warriors. And by the way, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. 
I didn't want to mention too much about Golden State because everybody is going to be talking about it on their podcast, their radio show, their TV show. So I was like, uh, at this moment, I don't want to talk about that. But congratulations to the Warriors. Uh, they are light years ahead of the NBA, as they were saying three, four, five years ago. But now back to Luka. Uh, top five in playoff points per game of all time. He's up there with guys like Paul Chamberlain and Michael Jordan, right? Guys like Nick Wright have championed him because of that. I also just read something that Nick Wright said, and Nick Wright was like, he's made three All-NBA first teams, which means for three years, he's had one of the top five seasons of any player in the NBA. At the guard position, where players like Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard all play, He's made as many All-NBA first teams as all three of them. Kyrie's never made an All-NBA first team. We brag about Steph Curry. We brag about Damian Lillard. Uh, John Wall's another guard that comes to mind. Uh, Trey Young now. John Morant. All these guys. More All-NBA first teams than all three of them. The only one he doesn't have more is uh, than Curry. Curry would have more. Luke is in special territory, right? Uh, that's why he's being compared also to guys like Larry Bird, which I don't like that comparison because I think it's just lazy because they're saying it because they're both white and really good at basketball. I think he's more of a Harden. But right now, Luka 1.0 is a form of James Harden. And Luka's on a trajectory where he could end up being a top 10 player of all time. Uh, but right now, he is a Harden, maybe an enhanced version of Harden, right? Big, thick guards, uh, don't play defense. They're strong, uh, they're good ball handlers, good step-back threes. Uh, they get to the free throw line. Not overly athletic. Smart basketball players, good passers, rebound the ball well, can do a lot of different things that way. Isolation heavy. Now, where Luka 1.0 needs to change is this, right? Luka 1.0 also, out of shape, bad defender, okay shooter from three, ball dominant, great passer, uh, very good rebounder, highly skilled offensively, uses the glass extremely well. So many things, right? And the best player on a conference finals team. A best player on a team that beat the 64-win Phoenix Suns and Phoenix. So Luka 1.1 is pretty special. 1.0. Luka 1.0 is pretty special. Just like, if you peep what I was saying before, Floyd Mayweather 1.0 was special. Tom Brady 1.0 was special. Michael Jordan 1.0 was special. But where Luka needs to change now to be in the position that a Steph Curry, a Draymond Green, a Klay Thompson is, where they're representing the Western Conference in the NBA Finals is, we need to see Luka 2.0. We need to see the Luka who's not shooting 45% from the field, but is shooting 50% from the field, more efficient. The Luka who's not shooting 35% from three, but shooting 40% from three, better three-point shooting, more of a sniper. The Luka who isn't struggling from the free throw line is shooting about 80% from the free throw line, making out eight out of every 10 free throws. Right? And he gets the line a lot. We need to see the Luka that's a little less ball dominant, can move off the ball, can find ways to impact the game when the ball isn't in his hands. Like how guys like a LeBron have, like guys like how a Steph Curry have, and Nikola Jokic. That's what he needs to do. Needs to be in better shape. Could get a little bit stronger. That's what we need to see a Luka 2.0, a better, improved version of Luka Doncic. I know he can do it, but that's what I want to see. Luka 2.0. I hope we see it next year. If Luka 2.0 happens, Dallas Mavericks, they're going to be going to the finals. And cut him next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Sim on the show, scouting expert for 247 Sports. Cut him next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. 
of Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim, scouting expert for 247 Sports, to break down and recap and help grade the NFC teams for the 2022 NFL Draft. We're going to go team by team, division by division for the NFC, and we're going to start with the NFC East. And let's start with the most popular team in the East and the NFL at large, the Dallas Cowboys. What did you think of their draft, Kenny? Okay, good to be on, Daryl. Dallas Cowboys came right off the bat. They had pick number 24. They went with Tyler Smith, offensive tackle at Tulsa. And they come back with a Tracy pick. Sam Williams. Uh, Sam Williams, a little bit rated lower, I had, but he's a... He's a height, weight, length guy. They're trying to bank on his traits to come off the edge and take over for Randy Gregory. And then in their third round, they went with Jalen Tolbert out of Alabama. I really like him. He could beat you all three different ways. Decent hands, really good yards after the catch, excellent yards after the catch. Um, a lot of his plays went for first downs. And then they closed it up with a couple of picks that I liked. John Ridgeway in at defensive tackle out of Arkansas. Still a weak point on their defense is the defensive tackle spot. And then they come back with uh, Damone Clark out of LSU. Damone Clark's an interesting guy. Really fast guy, athletic out of LSU. Injury prone, though. However, if you were to say in a few years, in two or three years, Damone Clark, he could be the best linebacker Um out of this class if the chips fall right and he stays healthy. He has that level of ability. So, Cowboys came in. They they some uh, they, they, they addressed the defensive end position. They addressed the guard position, which they needed to do. Um, defensive tackle, still, still, a, still a gap in their defense. Teams could probably run the ball up the middle on them. Then they come back with some ancillary needs. They get Jalen Tolbert, Smith, um, the linebacker position for them. They got linebacker as well, so they addressed a lot of the secondary needs for them. So all in all, it was a – I, mean, I would call it a, a, a satisfactory draft for them. So let's go here first. Uh, so with Damone Clark, Damian Clark, uh, out of LSU, the linebacker, so – I've noticed this with Dallas. They have a few linebackers that they've drafted. I used high draft picks on, right? Leighton Van Der Esch, Micah Parsons, and Jabril Cox, who was Clark's former teammate at LSU. Those are three linebackers, Cunning Clark. Those are now four linebackers. I know you're not a huge fan of the off-ball linebacker thing. We know Micah Parsons is special in itself. But in terms of the other uh, spots, how does that all work? You have now have four guys who are all... First, second, or like third round picks, all like kind of high commodities. So we're all like these athletic, interchangeable guys. So how do you see that working out? Right, right. Well, I think Micah Parsons will continue to be their Mike linebacker. Use him even off the edge in some pass rushing sets. Maybe some, you know, where they want to go with a sub package, and he would have, you know, three down linemen. Two linebackers, and he's one of the linebackers on the edge. So it kind of looks like on TV, when you watch it, it looks like a 4-1. So, um, versatile player. They'll, they'll, they'll move him all around. Leighton Vander Esch, I believe he's in the last year of his contract. Also very injury prone. You know, several times he misses half the season. So I think if they get anything out of him, they're probably seeing that as a bonus. 
they'll probably start the year. I would think uh, the two linebackers in their nickel set would be Parsons and Van Der Esch, and they kind of just go as far as Van Der Esch will go until you know he gets injured, and then they would rep out Clark and Cox on special teams. And I think they roll those guys in at that second linebacker position with Micah Parsons. So, you know, I think they'll just roll them um, and, and kind of go throughout training camp and see how that pecking order looks between Cox and Clark. Cox is a little bit bigger, a little bit more length, so maybe he plays on, um, you know, more traditional sets, even some pass sets. And Clark, I think they'll bring him along. along. So Clark was a a fifth-round pick, a little bit undersized, too. So, you know, I would think starting off in their rookie year, um, he would he would kind of be as a backup, and they would just have him in the pool. So he would be the third linebacker. Uh, primarily, they play two and kind of takes reps as a sub off, and then off injury, I believe. And, and, and he's also got to stay healthy as well. How do you like Tyler Smith's ability to be an impact contributor on the O-line right away? Yes, yeah, so right away I think it might be a little bit of a struggle. Um, you know, he's one of the youngest players in this draft. Good size, but he's a guy at Tulsa who committed a ton of penalties. So fundamentally, going to have to clean that up. And wherever he is, you know, on the offensive line, um, they got Tyrone Smith a little bit long in the tooth, Zach Martin, Tyler Smith. Wherever Tyler Smith would play, that other spot on the line would be a little bit of a hole. So let's say he, he starts off at left guard, right tackle, a little bit of a question mark. They put Tyler Smith at right tackle. Right tackle, uh, both, both tackles would be the Smith brothers, Tyrone and Tyler Smith. Right guard would be Zach Martin. Left guard, a little bit of a hole. So he does... He, he, he does fit um, their need, which they needed to, you know, get younger, more talented players on the offensive line. That's always been a team that's been a little bit offensive line driven. So I think he might start off, but I think the learning curve for him is going to be it's going to be bigger than some other players coming from a guy with a lot of upside, but from a polished perspective, not as polished as you would want from a first-round pick. Who's the diamond in the rough in this draft class? Oh, I think the, 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 the one diamond in the rough I like a lot is that, yeah, I remember doing this during the senior bowl. I'm, I really liked the Colbert kid. And he was a guy that I was even targeting for the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, he's 6'1", 195, excellent athlete, really athletic player, Gets in and out of his breaks, the yards after the catch. He's a guy that could quickly step into um, a role that was open with Amari Cooper being traded to the Browns. So now that they have C.D. Lamb, Gallup, and Jalen Tolbert, and that's a really nice three wide receiver set. Also, you take a look, and maybe, and maybe you would say his competition. He didn't play a lot of competition. You put on that tape against Tennessee. SEC DBs, he carved them up for seven for one seventy three and a score. So, so he could do that. Um, 
downfield ability. I think he fits right in, and and he he would help that passing game. You know, not miss too much of a beat from where they were last year. He's in a really nice spot in Dallas. What grade would you give this class for the Cowboys? Yeah, so for this one, I'm gonna give this one. I'm gonna give this one a C plus. So it's it's, it's an above average draft. Um, maybe maybe they could have addressed the trenches a little bit more on the defensive side of the football. But ancillary needs, they needed a linebacker. You know, you know, we talked about that. I'm really high on the on, on, on the pick for uh, J, Jalen Tolbert as well. Even Jake Ferguson, he's a ready to play right now as a uh, as a backup tight end. So they fit those. Um, question mark still how big of a of a you know of an improvement Tyler Smith is and then defensive tackle spot, you know, might be a team that you could run the ball on them a lot. So I'd give this one a C plus. I think it was a satisfactory draft for them though. So now let's go to the New York football giants. They had a really interesting draft, particularly at the top, and they had my favorite player, my number one overall prospect in the draft class, Evan Neal out of Alabama. They also had Kayvon Thibodeau. They drafted him, who was most people's consensus number one overall guy for the majority of this football year. What do you make of the New York Giants draft class? Yeah, this is a draft class. You take a look at, if, if, if you were to take a look at mock drafts last year at this time, Thibodeau and Neal would have been consensus, two of the top five players. Evan Neal is a five-star tackle. Kayvon Thibodeau, number one player in the 2019 class in Los Angeles. And those two guys actually competed in the opening. So, these guys are on NFL teams' radars, really on as highly talented freshmen. They end up going five and seven. So, so a lot of needs for the Giants. They went with defensive end. They wanted to get a defensive end and where the draft shook out for them is they were going to get a tackle at seven, uh, whether it be Neal, Keen, or Charles Cross. So they get their they get the pass rusher first, then they come back with Evan Neal. So they get two cornerstone players on their team for a long time. Then they come back with Rondell Robinson. This one a little this one a little bit of a questionable pick, but but. You, know, you got a guy like a Jalen Tolbert on the board, a, a, a Pickens on the board, a lot of other choices. You go with Rondell Robinson, same exact skill set as Kadarius Toney. So, you know, I don't know. if that, it, it, it seemed like that was a little bit of a reach because, you know, they could have got Rondell Robinson later in the draft, even if they wanted to replace him with Tony. Um, so they did that. Then they come back with the North Carolina kid at guard, Cordell Flat is a primarily an undersized nickel corner, so he could play some of the nickel. He could play teams for you. Daniel Bellinger, really like this pick from Daniel Bell- Bellinger. One of the most athletic tight ends in this class. Uh, not a lot of volume at San Diego State, but, but he's got the height, weight, speed. He's got really good hands as well. He could come out. It wouldn't surprise me if the fourth round pick, he comes in and he takes over for Evan Ingram and he becomes their starting tight end for them. And then they kind of finish up along the lines with a lot of guys who are going to be filling in for depth purposes. I really like their six-round pick, Darian Beavers, out of Cincinnati, too. He'll come in and play special teams. 
has a chance, I think, to get in the rotation early on. And you never know, might be able to start at linebacker. Remember, Mr. Irrelevant for them a few years back was their linebacker, Tay Crowder. He's starting for them. Darian Beavers, I like him a little bit more than Michael McFadden. So this was a team that that Dave Gettleman left a mess for Joe Shane and Brian Dable. They couldn't sign this draft class unless they cut James Bradbury. Um, so they had to clean up a lot of salary cap space. So they get a lot of young players to fill those second and third string spots in their roster. Chances Kayvon Thibodeau wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, that is a good shot. You know, a lot of those, a lot of the front players are going to have a chance to get defensive pl- uh, uh, the defensive rookie of the year. So I think the top three, you know, I think Walker, Hutchinson, and Thibodeau are going to have a chance to put up some numbers right away. I like Kyle Hamilton as well, but you know, traditionally this has been a position that's gone to you know pass rushers, and I think he has. A good opportunity right off the bat. Really polished and athletic. Step into the NFL field. He's not going to be overwhelmed. Playing in New York, bigger market, there is a chance. Um, you know, I think he, uh, you know, I think right now I would say defensive rookie of the year, if you had to go and place a bet, I think he'd be in that top three that you would look at. Chances that both Thibodeau and Neil will be pro bowlers in year one. If I told you they're both pro bowlers, would you be shocked? You know, I would um, in 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 year one. You know, that's still a big jump for them to make Pro Bowls in year one. However, you know, in year two and year three, I could see it for both. You know, teams with past first round picks early on, it's hard to hit on both as Pro Bowlers right off the bat. Who would be more likely to be a pro bowler in their first year, Thibodeau or Neal? Yeah, I'm going to say Evan Neal. So he'll come in and and he'll play a really good tackle spot. They have, you know, two top ten picks invested at offensive tackle. Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal. I think Evan Neal will be the better of the two. And if he comes in like that, doesn't give up a lot of sacks, a lot of pressures, better as a young offensive tackle than his counterpart on the left side. We'll get some buzz that way. And, you know, he would definitely have a shot to make a Pro Bowl. What would your grade be for this class? Yeah, so for this one, I'm going to give this one a B. Just because they're going to have to... So, so they're going to have to hit on definitely... When you look back at this draft, they're going to have to hit on Thibodeau and Neal. And I think both have a chance to be really good players, starters, immediate contributors for a long time, both with Pro Bowl upside. Wondell Robinson, you know, he's explosive with the ball in his hands. Knowing how it works, he'll probably end up being the slot receiver and they'll probably move on from Tony because that's their guy they drafted. And then Bellinger is a guy I would look out for to start, too. But this is definitely going to be looking back and seeing how this does with Thibodeau and Neal. I do this one to B because they needed a pass rusher and tackle. They got both. They need a tight end. They got both as well. Uh, 
corner, a little bit of an opening. It's going to be a tough spot for the Giants this year because of the uh, letting James Bradbury go for salary cap purposes. It's a defensive link margin, though, that really wants to get after it. They put their corners on the island, and they do not have the personnel at corner to do that right now. So, you know, you can't solve it all in one year, but I do think they got some found out, some, some foundational pieces on the offensive line. So I give this one, I give this one um, a B minus. So now let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, what do you make of this class? Yeah, so Philadelphia Eagles came in. Remember their first round pick? Uh, you got Jordan Davis. They'll work alongside Fletcher Cox. But their second first round pick, they ended up trading it for A.J. Brown, a top 10 receiver. They needed a receiver. They got one. They got a top 10 guy. And then they gave him a contract extension, four years, $100 million, $57 million guaranteed. They needed linebackers. They ended up getting Kobe Dean, who fell during the draft. He fell for medical reasons. So he's got a knee, a shoulder, and a pec. Now, I don't know if he's going to be able to you know, start the season or how that looks for them if he give him a medical red shirt for year one. But just the value was too good to pass up at, 80, at, at uh, I think he went 86 overall, third-round pick. Um, but but he's, he's a guy, though, that as a player with the film, top 15 player in this class. He was the leader and the alpha of that defense. Everyone talks about that was so good. And then they finished that up, you know, with a couple of picks at the end. Kyron Johnson, special teams player at linebacker, Grant Calcaterra used to be at Oklahoma, went to uh, Southern Methodist then, uh, tight end here. So you take a look at what they did. They addressed linebacker and receiver, had some holes, you know, at guard, safety, running back, they bypassed. But they ended up, um, if you you take a look at that Carson Wentz trade, they end up flipping Carson Wentz. And when you start doing the math on what they ended up getting from him with all the trades, they ended up getting Jordan Davis, A.J. Brown, a first-round pick next year, a second-round pick in 2024. All were starting with the Wentz trade and then the trades after that. So just a complete coup that Howie Roseman pulled off. Who's going to be the better player for the Eagles out of Georgia, Jordan Davis or N'Kobe Dean? Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Nicobe Dean. Nicobe Dean just stays healthy, and even if he doesn't play year one, I think when 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 he's fully healthy, he could be a lot. He he could be a plus linebacker for them and be a starter for them in that middle of the defense for several years and make, make an impact. You make an impact from from instincts to being that quarterback on the field and wearing the green dot at linebacker. And cover as well. So you add all that up, I think Dean is going to be a little bit more productive than Jordan Davis. They really wanted Jordan Davis, and they traded off with the Ravens. Traded above the Ravens to get him. Jordan Davis, not the best pass rusher, though, but you'll be able to learn from one of the best in Fletcher Cox, and then probably next year take over as that top defensive tackle on the Eagles roster. So let me tell you this, Kenny. Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott, 
Washington Commanders, Antonio Gibson, New York Giants, Saquon Barkley. Is it not possible Jordan Davis's value in terms of stopping the runs really going to help the Eagles for the next few years? Because all these teams in the NFC, they want to establish the run. But it, de- it, de- it definitely could. It definitely could. And now with him and Fletcher Cox up there, that's always been a team with Howie Roseman that they want to build in the trenches, both offensive line and defensive line. And up the middle now with Jordan Davis, that can really help out them. And, you know, you take a look at that. I, 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 I want to flip to the other side of the football. Another guy to watch is Cameron Jurgens. Really a carbon copy from Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey was actually watching tape with Howard Roseman, looking at potential replacements for him at center. So he'll play for one more year and then probably move on from him. But but he liked Cameron Jurgens as their top center. And he saw a lot of himself in Jurgens. So, you know, I think that could be a sleeper pick in this draft class is Cameron Jurgens. We look back and we see Cameron Jurgens is starting for the Eagles six, seven years. Any chance he can get in at guard in year one or something like that? Uh, he has a chance to get in at guard. Um, Long term, he'll be their center. Might be able to get in at guard. I have to check and look at their depth chart and how they want to do that. Switching positions with him. Kelsey, you know, a little bit older. If he doesn't play, you know, you could just do a flip Jurgens for Kelsey instead of having to shuffle around the interior offensive line. So we'll we'll see where he starts. I would probably guess he might start the year as a sub for Travis Kelsey at center, though. But we'll see. What grade would you give this class? Well, actually, before we get to the grade, over or under, 80 tackles in year one for N'Kobe Dean. I'm going to say... I'm going to say under, just because, especially for rookies in their first year, I think I don't think he's going to be able to, uh, you know, you know, play 14, 15, 16 games for them. I think he will end up missing some games, whether he starts the season missing or whether he gets hurt along the way. Take a look at rookies often that first year, big learning year. That's when they usually miss the majority of games. So I'm going to say under, just because I do think. It might be a little bit of a transition to the NFL and, and, and with that, but, you know, I think going forward, it's going to be a pretty good pick for them, though. And what would your grade for this class be? So for this one, I'm going to give them a B plus because the addition of A.J. Brown really sets them up nice in the passing game. Linebacker, they got linebacker. Corner, they didn't get corner. However, they got James Bradbury, so now they got Slay and Bradbury on the outside. Jordan Davis, um, kind of a bonus pick for, from a need perspective. They didn't need defensive tackle. They ended up getting him, though. Really solid player. I could say a B plus. This was an overall, when you look at what they did in the draft and A.J. Brown, this really sets them up nice for the future. And I think right now it sets them up right now to win the NFC East. So now let's go to the Washington Commanders. What did you make of their draft class? Yes, the Washington Commanders at eight picks. They, you know, 
they needed a receiver. They got a receiver in Johan Dotson at 16. I think that might have been a little bit of a reach. Take a look. I don't think he's a top 16 player in this draft. A um, little, little bit of a reach, but he should, should be able to come in and really fit in nicely in that receiver room. Then they go back to the Alabama defensive line, which is something that the commanders always do for Gary Mathis, more of a five technique. Really solid. You know, I would say he has pass rushing like Jaron Reed, run stopping like Ashawn Robinson. He's kind of a combination of both. Um, he'll 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 have a chance on a rookie deal to eventually probably replace one of the defensive tackles if they don't want to re-sign. You know, like like as you're on pain. And then Brian Robinson, they go back to Alabama. Brian Robinson, third round. You know, definitely a guy that's going to take a lot of carries in the running game for Antonio Gibson. Not sure if they're going to end up paying Antonio Gibson long term. Then they take a flyer at the end. He was just sitting there in round five and Sam Howell. And then they, and then you know, they fill in the team from there. But but you know, they they could have. From a primary needs per perspective, they didn't take a big swing on a quarterback. They got their receiver, met needs there. Um, then they ended up filling in a guard, safety, defensive tackle. So, so they met some of their secondary needs as well. So they did a decent job. I wouldn't say great. Um, so, you know, I think it was an average draft for them. Who would be your diamond in the rough here? Diamond in the rough here, I'm going to say, is Brian Robinson. I think they're going to work him in and get more of a physical presence in the run game. And he's their guy that they drafted. They, 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 they took Gibson as well. But I don't know if they're going to end up paying Gibson, you know, top 10 running back money, not that let him walk, but, but he's a guy in between the tackles and a physical presence. They could go with that. And then maybe eventually you could see how he becomes your featured back. And then they end up finding a pass catcher, you know, a pass catcher running back in free agency or late in the draft to be their new kind of running back room. So I would watch out for Brian Robinson, um, as, as as a guy that they work in fairly quickly. How many guys do you think are going to be able to contribute year one in this class? I'm going to say three. I think it's your top three picks. Okay. That needs to come in right away, work the slot, work the underneath route. Kerry McLaurin will work the deep part as well. Not sure whether injury-prone Curtis Samuel fits in, but I see Dotson starting in the slot. Vidarian Mathis, definitely see him, even in sub-packages, kind of that five technique. He'll, he'll, he'll be very active on their defensive line rotation. He'll be a key contributor. Not sure if he'll be a starter, but, but he'll be a key contributor. And then Robinson's another guy. I think he'll be a key contributor right away. He'll be right in the mix of their running back room with Robinson and Gibson. Uh, you know, if Gibson has a hamstring and goes down, Robinson can take the full workload, the majority of the carries through that week. 
and do a satisfactory job. And then at the end, you know, fifth round, you know, he'll be a backup this year, but Sam Howell, the value was too good here to pass up in round five. He's still sitting there. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, you take a look at the history of fifth-round picks and quarterback. The majority of them don't stand out to you, but he's the guy that they could keep on their roster as a backup as opposed to Taylor Heineke and, you know, see where they're at with Wentz. Um, but I don't think that solves their long-term need at quarterback spot. They still, I don't believe they have their long-term starter does Hal beat out Taylor Heineke in year one? Because Taylor Heineke's pretty good. I mean, I would say he's yeah, probably I mean, one of the top 40 quarterbacks in the NFL, right? Is that fair to say he's one of the 40 best quarterbacks? Yeah, that's right on the fringe. That's right on the fringe of where he would be at. Um, even if not, even if not, he'll be their third quarterback. And, um, you know, be their third third quarterback in, in – you know, you got the short-term view of the draft and the long-term view as well. Long-term, you could definitely see them, you know, not not paying Heineke, having Sam Howell under basically minimum salary as their backup. Probably is probably a sufficient backup. You know, smart player, tough, accurate, and go forward with him. And if they need to make a spot start, feel pretty good about running their full offense with Sam Howell. What grade would you give this class? Yeah, I'd give this one a C. Um, you know, take a look at some of the value they got. You know, a little, a little bit of a reach for Jahan Dotson at 16. But they met the wide receiver need. They got some, got some backups to fill in. Um, you know, Robinson doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires. And then on day on day three, I'm not sure if any of those five are going to be key contributors. How will be a backup? They'll see what they have at tight end with Cole Turner as a backup as well. So, you know, I'm not sure when you take a look at, you know, in a few years, if they're going to get anything out of their day three players. So you, now you're down to, you know, you know, three, but they have a chance to be three starters. So I'll say C. And cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to continue to break down the NFC from a draft perspective. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I got a story to tell you now that I church this. Hope it ain't too many feelings involved. I see this in this spurt. I'm bottles. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Kenny Sim with us, scouting expert for 247 Sports, to break down and recap the NFL draft from the NFC side of things. And now it's time for the NFC North. Let's start with the Green Bay Packers. What did you make of their draft, Kenny? The Green Bay Packers came out. Um, they ended up trading Devontae Adams to stockpile two, uh, four, four picks in the top 60. They ended up maneuvering around the draft and ended up using three of those for top 60 picks. So they start off 
right off the bat going really heavy on their front seven with Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. Quay Walker, massive linebacker, 6'4", 241, but he could run as well. He'll fit in nicely with Devontae Campbell. Inside, they got Devontae Wyatt, my top defensive tackle. He'll, he'll go in right away with Kenny Clark. So now you got Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt. You got you got a Preston Smith and, and, and Rashawn Gary on the outside. Really nice front seven. Then they come back on day two. They make a trade very early in the draft to get Christian Watson. Just a, a receiver the Packers have typically liked. They like those big receivers, even like a James Jones, a Jeff Janice even. They get Christian Watson. Very Highly touted receiver. 208, 6'4", 40-inch vertical, 428 speed. They moved down with Sean Ryan. Now, Sean Ryan was their guard in that Chip Kelly wide zone. That's an offense that the Green Bay Packers run as well. So he could fit in at guard eventually. Then they go to Romeo Dobbs out of Nevada. He's a slot receiver. He could play teams for them, be, be, be their returner. Zach Tom, another guy, guard guard center flexibility as well. Then they get Kingsley Engerby out of South Carolina. I like him a lot. He had the draft of the fifth round for medical, but he was one of the top players at the senior bowl. Productive pass rusher at South Carolina. And then they kind of fill out their team from there. You know, even getting some value late with, with, with a, a, a starter at and offensive tackle for Penn State, Rasheen Walker. He'll go into the pool for them. And then Samari Torrey, kind of a do-it-all receiver last year for Nebraska. So all in all, they really hit a lot of their needs. They came into the draft. You take a look at what they needed. They needed linebacker, receiver. They got those both. Uh, maybe tight end, but they got Tanyan coming back. And then they ended up getting... Defensive tackle helped a lot. Um, safety, so a backup safety. They did not address safety, but overall, when you take a look at their needs that they needed and they addressed with the appropriate value, like a Quay Walker and a Christian Watson, I really think the Green Bay Packers had one heck of a draft. Better. Who's going to be better from Georgia? The better Georgia prospect for this team. Quay Walker or Devontae Wyatt? Yeah, I'm going to take Devontae Wyatt. And he's a guy that was, you know, Jordan Davis got a lot of the headlines at the Combine. But when you take a look at Devontae Wyatt, 6'3", 304. When you take a look at his 40, his 10-yard split, which is more important for a defensive tackle, that initial burst of a 40, take a look at his 10-yard split as well along with his length. I don't have his don't have his sky report in front of me, but I believe he's also a long arm defensive tackle. He was just as impressive as any defensive lineman at the combine. Um, so he'll come in right away and take a look at him taking a look at some short arm weak guards and working alongside Kenny Clark and then those pool of edge rushers that they have, I think Devontae Wyatt could be a productive starter year one and for a long time on that Packers defensive line. 
Who? Quay Walker as well. I mean, he's a big linebacker, really talented too. Yeah, he's a freak. This doesn't have enough reps at Georgia. I mean, they rolled a lot of guys, but but actually it was interesting that Walker, out of all the linebackers on Georgia, Walker was the first one taken. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's also because uh, Dean was a lot physically smaller. Walker fits all those prototypical traits that you want from a linebacker. How many starters, how many year one starters do we see in this class, Kenny? You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say four. I'm going to say Walker, Wyatt, Watson, and then I'm going to say either at guard, you know, they were piecing it together last year. I mean, they were playing Billy Turner a lot. I'm going to say either Zach Tom or Sean Mann. One of those mid-round picks that the Packers have continually hit on on the offensive line, one of those mid-round picks is going to end up being a starting guard for them as well. Might not be week one, but due to injury, one of those is going to get in, and I think we'll do a really good job for them. So I'm going to say four in year one. And I'm going to uh, – I mean, they're looking like, you know, maybe eventually five with both those guards. So I really like this draft and what Brian Grudenquist has done. And, you know, I know everybody wanted a receiver for them. However, Aaron Rodgers is so good, he can make a receiver in round two get the same production as a round one receiver. So they waited. They actually traded up then for Watson. And I think what Aaron Rodgers could do with Watson, he could make him look like a first-round pick. And they got him in round two, and they were able to, you know, meet their needs on the defensive side of the ball, too. That is called value. How many year one contributors, let's go away from starters, how many year one contributors do you see in this class? Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I mean, for for contributors here, I'm going to say... Guys who will at least be in the pool. Yeah, I'm going to say five. I'm going to say five when you talk about key contributors as well. So you got... Walker, Wyatt, Watson, one of those guys at guard. And then I'm going to say Romeo Dubs, you know, either, you know, rotating in at receiver and getting some reps, but also as a returner. I think Romeo Dobbs has a chance to be one of their returners as well. Who would be your diamond in the rupture guy to watch out for that's not one of the headline guys in this class? Yeah, for not, for not one of the headline guys, I'm going to say here, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to go to the seventh round here. And I know last year, um, you know, the Cheeks hit on a seventh round lineman. I'm going to say Rasheen Walker out of Penn State. He is a multi-year starter at Penn State. All Big Ten nominee. Long arm, strong pass protector. I'm going to say he could be a diamond in the rough. Because if they continually have injuries on the offensive line, even like a Dave Bakhtiari, Rasheed Walker is going to have his number called fairly early. And, you know, based on his pedigree, he's got the size, the pedigree is a multi-year starter at a big-time program. I think he could come in, at least be a swing tackle, if not starter, and probably hold his own. And that's an offensive scheme that doesn't require the lineman to block you know, for three, four, or five seconds. They want to get the ball out quickly, use play action, slow down that pass rush. So they can, you know, work him in, and it's a friendly scheme for him, too. 
what would your grade for this class be? Yeah, for this one, I'm going to give this one an A-. minus. They had needs. They met those needs with, with talented players at the top of the draft. Then they met, And then, then they go and get some guys in the rotation later in the draft, too. Um, you know, the, the, the only primary or secondary need they did not get was safety, but you can't do it all. And, you know, I, I like a lot of their value picks that they got, especially I'm really high on Christian Watson as well. So he's a guy that get immediate rapport and immediate payout in this offense with the, with uh, Aaron Rodgers. So it's an A-minus. It's one of now let's go to the Chicago Bears. What did you think of their draft class? You know, Chicago Bears came out and they got a first-year head coach, first-year GM, and they wanted to immediately go after the secondary. They get Tyler Gordon, who I like a lot, at corner. You pair him up with Jalen Johnson. It's a nice combo there. They get Jacon Brisker. I really like... I really like the Brusker kid out of Penn State. Then they come back with 25-year-old rookie Vilas Jones. Guy that can move, but but he's a, a 25-year-old rookie. Braxton Jones, a extremely long arm, big offensive tackle out of Southern Utah. And then Dominique Robinson. I like Dominique Robinson a lot. I know he's a little bit older. He's 23. Uh, out of Miami of Ohio, but this guy, take a look at what he did. I think he was he was number one on um, edge rushers, vertical jump, over 40. Are you kidding me? He could jump out of the gym. He's got the size. He's got the length. He falls to around five. He could be in the rotation and potentially a starter. And then they kind of come back with a local kid, a Kramer at center. Um, and then specialist at the end, got a punter out of NC State. Tristan Ebner is a fast, smaller back that they could put in at running back too. So all in all, you take a look at what you know what 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 the Bears needed. You know, I don't I, I don't think they met their need at receiver, offense. Tackle. I don't know if Braxton Jones could start. They could have used a starter at least to help out Justin Fields. Defensive tackle for Hakeem Hicks, they did not need, but they met secondary needs of center, uh, of corner, linebacker, safety. So, you know, all in all, you take a look at this draft on paper. Yeah, it looks decent at the top, but the opportunity cost is they really passed up giving offensive playmakers to Justin Fields. And I think that is one of the takeaways of this draft is how they how, how they bypass that. And, you know, they, they really didn't give Justin Fields a lot of help offensively um, from a protection standpoint and from a, you know, a weapon standpoint. Who would be your diamond in the rough in this class? Diamond in the rough, Dominique Robinson. You know, as a, a as a guy that could, you know, even start as a fifth round pick eventually, but really like his upside. He brings uh, the traits he brings to the table at edge rusher. Would be overall grade for this class. And then grade, I'm gonna give this grade. I'm gonna give this 
going to get this one a C minus. You know, on the surface, secondary, yeah. But when you take a look at the overall team, you know, I think we'll be looking back at this draft and looking and say, okay, this draft, you take a look at the 2022 draft, there's no guys on offense that have helped Justin Fields. And this team is only going to go as far as Justin Fields will take them. You take a look at the big picture here and helping out a young quarterback with that, you know, if this is if, if, if this offense is what it was last year with not a lot of contributors in year one in this draft class, it's going to be one of the worst offenses. You start adding that up, you know, you'd be sitting here looking at year one and you got five, six wins, if that. So, you know, the opportunity cost, I think, here is going to be um, why the grade is below average, just because they didn't even balance out their draft with, you know, Receivers, tight ends, even linemen. Not a good start to the Matt Eberflus era, it looks like. So now let's go to the Detroit Lions. What did you make of their draft class? Yeah, Detroit Lions came in, you know, they had primary needs at, at, at quarterback, linebacker, receiver. You know, they got their receiver, edge rusher, you know, secondary need, however you want to chop it up. They needed somebody off the edge. They got Aiden Hutchinson at number two and Josh Pascal. Both those guys, maybe they'll both start an edge rusher. Um, they got a couple other guys, too, in that room. Jamison Williams, got to remember, he's only going he, 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 to mess if he stays on track the first month or two. But this is a long-term projection. It's been a long time since the Lions had a, had a receiver that teams are really going to have to look out for because he's a guy that can beat you vertically and defenses are going to need to know where he's at. Kirby Joseph, very explosive safety who I would expect to start. So they had holes at uh, uh, secondary knees at defensive end. They got that obviously tight end. They got the Virginia Tech kid. Kirby Joseph, I like a lot of safety as well. And then um, three guys at the end even Malcolm Rodriguez is one of the fastest linebackers. He's just about 5'11", 220. Really undersized. He can play all the teams. And he's, he's, he's a very fast linebacker. And, and let me just stop you really quickly, Kenny. In terms of sub package and coverage, he's going to be your guy. There you go. There you go. Uh, this is, yeah, yeah, I think we both identified him during the battle of the boards for that. James Houston, huge traits, but he's just out of a, I mean, he's out of a, HBCU Jackson State, but they're going to take a long look and try to develop him. He's got outstanding length and, 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 and speed. So that's one of those guys that you develop in the sixth round and see where he is, you know, at the end of year two, year year three. Chase Lucas, uh, productive player at the senior bowl as well. He's a good player. So, you know, all in all, I think the Lions fans should be happy. They got probably two of the top 15 players in this draft. Um, they get Pascal. I like I, I I I like Pascal a lot. I like Kirby Joseph a lot too. So they're able to balance that out with their secondary um, as well. Who's going to be better for them in terms of first round picks? Aiden Hutchinson or Jameson Williams? Yeah, I'm going to say Jameson Williams here. Um, you know, Hutchinson. One thing on him is I, you know, he's He's very athletic. Um, he's not just one of those try-hard defensive ends that gets their sacks on F 
Crawford, he can pop off the tape. But when you take a look at not only what they're going to do early on, but you take a look at the length of their careers, Jameson Williams has huge upside that this is a guy that is their vertical threat. He does more than just being a vertical threat, too. He could get those digs and underneath routes. You could go to him, too. And he's a guy that you place him in that receiver room with Amon St. Brown already and Hawkinson and Swift, who are mismatches, start taking a look at the Detroit Lions, and they're one of those teams that they're set up nice next year to pop in a quarterback on their roster. Whether it's an early-round pick, whether they trade for one of those guys, but you got a quarterback that can get the ball downfield, Jameson Williams could really pop for them and kind of change the way defenses look at the Detroit Lions. What grade would you give this class? So for this one, I'm going to give this one a B plus. Um, you know, really, really like this draft. It was probably one of the probably one of the ten best drafts. So upper third. Um, you know, they got really talented players at those premium positions of edge rusher and receiver. They met secondary needs too. You know, they 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 decided eventually um, to punt on quarterback for next year. So, overall, though, really strong draft. And I just wanted to point out, too, on this trade they made with the Vikings, how they traded up from 32 to 12. That's a huge step up. But they didn't even give up a, a next year first-round pick. They, they, they moved up from 32 to 12, and they swapped second-round picks with the Vikings. They actually moved back a lesser amount than they traded up. They traded back from 32 to 46. That's 14 spots, but they moved up in the first round 20 spots. So I really like that trade they made, and they didn't give up a lot to do that. And they ended up getting, you know, I think a lot of industry experts would say two two of the top 15 players in this draft, though. So really solid job uh, by uh, Brad Holmes, John Dorsey, and company in that front, front office of the Lions. So now let's go to the Minnesota Vikings. What did you make of their draft class? Okay, pull it up. They were heavy defense early. They got guys like Lewis Sun, Andrew Booth Jr., who I particularly liked. Uh, uh-huh. Brian Amusa out of Oklahoma, cornerback out of Missouri, but uh, really defensive heavy. Yeah, so they made that trade. So they went down from 12 to 32 to get Lewis seen. Like Lewis seen a lot as a guy who can not only play up top, but he can play in the box and hit you. Um, you know, their their primary needs that they needed to address, you know, receiver, not really. It took Jalen Naylor late. Uh, Andrew Booth, I like a lot. That. Andrew Booth dropped with medicals. He had double hernia on uh, both both legs. So, you know, that that's why he dropped. But a one-year starter at Clemson really made a big a big impact as that one-year starter in college for them. He's got the length, he's got the speed, he's got the pedigree. Five-star kid out of Georgia, Ed Ingram went with the offensive line. Solid pick for them too. And then some of the secondary needs, you know, 
defensive end, you know, they got a body there. Safety, they definitely met at safety. Tight end, they took the guy late. So, overall, you know, I like to pick a seam a lot. Um, but, you know, Booth is going to be injury dependent on him as well. And then they got some guys, you know, I don't know how much they're going to contribute with. You know, Brian Asamoah, Ed Ingram, I think he'll be a decent starter, but I don't know, you know, from an upside perspective, if he'll ever be a plus starter slash pro bowler. And then some, they got, and then they got some guys at the end to fill in. You know, Naylor's probably, you know, backup, you know, backup receiver, punt returner even. Um, you know, it was, I mean, it was six guys on day three. They took as well. So, and actually, when you mentioned Brian Musa, I, I think about him. Uh, I, I see him kind of like a Malcolm Rodriguez. I think he's going to be a sub-package coverage linebacker. I particularly don't think he has the ability to hold up in between the tackles as a run stopper. I, I don't think that's his game in the NFL. So I think he's going to be a guy that has a niche role, and I think he's going to be able to get on special teams with his speed and quickness. Uh, how many day one starters do you see in this class? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two and a half. I'm gonna say seen as a starter. Booth, if he's healthy throughout camp, I think he'll be a starter too. And then I'm gonna say Asamoa is gonna be, you know, at, at least going off linebacker snap counts, he's gonna be up there for their uh, linebacker room as well. So I'm gonna say two and a half here. But they got a lot. Of, I mean, they got a lot of guys, though. You know, I don't know ultimately long term how many are going to start for them. And I just wanted to bring up the point that they traded back a couple of times. Let's make sure that we're aware that they traded back for two division rivals who got number one receivers. They made that trade with the Lions to get Jameson Williams for the Lions. Then they traded out um, again. With the Packers, and the Packers are the one that traded to 34 to take Christian Watson. So let's just keep that down as a subplot that the Vikings, you know, made trades for division rivals to take Jameson Williams and Christian Watson. Um, you know, we'll have to see how that turns out, but, you know, if it turns out for those teams, wouldn't it be the best luck for the Minnesota Vikings? And what grade would you give this class? I'm giving this one a C. You know, I, you know, you could see how this pops with maybe, you know, starting secondary players of Booth and Seen. You know, Asamoah is one of those guys, like you said, probably be really solid on special teams and sub-packaged linebackers. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking down and I'm trying to see how some of these I, – I don't see how a lot of these guys are going to fit. You know, the Minnesota defensive end doesn't have a lot of juice. Ty Chandler maybe as a backup to, you know, Dalvin Cook long term. Um, you know, Ed Ingram, decent starter. A lot of guys, though, so maybe they'll hit on – you know, if you hit on three or four as just guys that are starters, really good draft for them. So I'm going to give them – see, I think it was – Overall, I'm going to say average here. 
And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on to this episode. The 435th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.